Welcome to the Resilience Rising podcast with me, your host, Jen Scottney. With the help of my guests, we will be getting curious about what resilience is, how we develop it, and the times we've used it. This podcast is here to explore all things resilience. Today, I'm talking to Fabrice de Marisco. Fabrice works with CEOs and their teams to help them reach higher levels of performance and consciousness. A former partner at McKinsey & Company, Fabrice has practiced meditation, taught yoga, and led spiritual retreats for two decades. He is the author of the book, The Art of Retreats. Integrating Eastern spiritual traditions with Western modern management and psychology, Fabrice raises his clients to new heights of clarity and productivity by focusing on what makes us fundamentally human the desire to be happy, to connect with others and be true to our purpose. Welcome to the podcast, Fabrice. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> it's so lovely to talk to you. And I'm so interested to hear about your take on resilience. What does that mean for you? Well, there's, there's different ways to look at it. But one way that I uh, like and that I use with my clients is not so much the, you know, you bounce back mm. when bad things to you, which is the, the traditional definition of resilience. And it's a good one, but I like to, to see resilience as the, the set of practices, habits uh, that allow you to uh, stay the course in the long run. And maybe that will speak to you, you know, as a long distance runner, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you not give up after two miles, right? And, <laughs> Yes, definitely. Although I'm finding being injured a lot harder than running those hundred miles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you see, because I think, and and I work with um, with senior leaders, right? So in a way, these are all individuals who have seen their share of uh, difficulties in life, right? You you don't get to the top. It's not a straight line in general. I mean, I, I've yet to meet someone for whom it was a straight line to get to the top, right? <laughs> Uh, so, so it's a zigzag line, and 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 hopefully, you know, the the zigs take you a little <laughs> bit higher each time, and the zags set you back, etc. Right? And so, I, I think at, at a certain level of experience, maturity, seniority uh, in in the corporate world, people have seen their shares of of they've had their shares of of challenges, be it professional or, or personal. And I think it's useful to look at resilience as you know what allows me to continue on this journey. Mm. You know, it, it's. There's no destination per se, you know, if it's, it's, it's meaningless to say, you know, I will be happy when my company reaches a hundred million dollars in sales or $1 billion in valuation, whatever. Right. I mean, yeah, sure. These are good milestones, but, but this is, it, it doesn't stop there. Mm. Right. It's, it's a continuous journey. And even and if we're not the leaders. So it's like life, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it's a continuous journey. And so, yes, we, yeah. we, we're, have milestones along the way and 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 be happy when we reach them. But you know, the every time I've seen someone who was too much dependent on milestones and say, you know, I will be happy when I graduate if it's a student. You know, well, yes, of course, of course you want to be happy when when you graduate. But you know what? Graduating means that now you're thrown into the workplace and good luck to you. Right? <laughs> you had this nice cocoon protected life at university and now you're gonna have to you know, wake up at six every morning and and take take the subways to work and good luck. Yeah. So <laughs> I think resilience is really this this ability that we have to to stay the course over the long run. 
Mm. And is part of that staying the course, accepting that we are going to have these zigzags, that it's not going to be good all the time? Well, anyone who thinks that it's going to be, you know, a walk in the park, as we say, uh, (laughs) is is either, uh, you know, very, very young (laughs) or completely deluded. Uh, Yes, I I, I think I fitted in the young category once rather than the deluded. But I I think I was hoping that if I if I worked hard enough, uh, maybe we'll go into what you suggest as the practices and those habits. But then I could almost protect myself from anything bad happening. But age has taught me that 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 isn't true. (laughs) No, no. And I I, and I don't think it is a useful Mm. that we can shelter ourselves from life. It's it's not a very useful way to look at it because, look, no matter what you do, even if you retire to a monastery in the Himalayas, you're still going to have, you know, you're still going to have nights when the heating doesn't work and you're freezing and, and days where the food is not good and, and, <laughs> and, and you, know, <laughs> you know, welcome to life, right? And so... Yeah. There is no way to, and I think if you try to shelter yourself from life, you're, you're going to miss out on a lot mm. of things because part of life is actually to jumping into the unknown and taking risks, knowing that you will fall on your face once in a while. I mean, you don't enter a competition knowing that you're going to win. You may hope that you're going to win, but you, you, you never know, right? And, 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 but if you don't enter the competition because you're afraid of losing, then you never get the gold. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, and I see that back to my, to my corporate world. I, I see a lot of teams who are actually playing not to lose rather than playing to win because it, it is scary to play to win. And I think we can apply that to life as well. Are you playing life not to lose? And and because maybe you believe that you don't have the resilience to 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 overcome whatever life throws at you, and so you're you're over protecting yourself, or are you playing you know life to the fullest and you're playing to win, but when you play to win, invariably you're gonna have setbacks and and they can be quite painful. Mm. And so you talked about resilience being that set of practices and habits, and I'm really interested into in what sort of things those include. Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll give you my take, and and you know my my big thing, as you know from the book, the art of retreat is actually carving out space to. I was going to say to retreat, but that's kind of obvious given that it's the title of the book. But <laughs> you know, carving out space where we can be with ourselves, and that's a space for introspection. That is space for reflection. It can be space for contemplation. It can be space to take stock. It can be space to to reflect on where we are, or just simply to take care of ourselves. But it's necessarily a space where we're in in silence and and solitude and stillness, because that that is when we are most receptive to hearing what's going on inside. Right. So I'm a big believer that one of the tools for resilience is this ability to step back and not be constantly the nose on the wheel, charging hard. And, and you know that, right? Because you've been a lawyer and, and you've worked extremely hard and, and you know what burnout feels like. And so, you know, I, I think this ability that very few leaders have and, and even, you know, very few of us have in general to, to take a step back and to say, you know, the hour that I'm going to take 
for myself in silence or the day that I'm going to take for myself in silence, that's actually going to be time very well invested because that's going to allow me to understand myself better, to see the situation around me better, to take some perspective, maybe to reframe a little bit what I thought was a bad situation. Maybe it's not that bad. And I'm not saying that there's a silver lining to everything that's going to happen to you. But, you know, we, we also tend, I mean, and that's human nature, we tend to maybe amplify a little bit the negatives and, and underestimate the positives in our lives. So this, this practice of stepping back is a very important one uh, to, for resilience, but it's certainly not the, the only one. I think, uh, and again, I'm, I'm drawing from my experience with working with uh, senior corporate leaders and, and, and CEOs, um, it might sound surprising, but I think being in physical shape is very important. And again, we tend to underestimate that. You know, we say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm hired for my brains. I'm not hired for my muscles or my uh, body fat percentage or whatever, right? But I think that's, that's actually not a, it's missing the point that being in great physical shape has repercussions on on your mental agility on on your emotional balance on on your spiritual alignment with your world and so i i tend to start with actually being in shape when i work with senior leaders particularly when i work with people who obviously are not taking care of themselves because i think it's a very very good investment to regain energy to to regain balance and and you know we always talk about the relationship between the mental and 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 the physical, but it's it's extremely true. So for me, a practice of resilience is actually getting in shape. Uh, and I'm not saying you know to become a a, a super athlete uh, like you, but just being in shape. And I think we all have our definitions of being in shape. And and but that's important. Uh, another practice uh, that may or may not come from the practice of retreats, but it's being mentally focused. And, and you can achieve that through mindfulness, through breathing exercises, through journaling, through a number of energy practices like yoga, tai chi, or qigong. But that, and interestingly, these are physical practices, right? I mean, breathing is a highly, it's first and foremost a physical practice, but the, the impact it has on, on being mentally focused is, is amazing. Right. And and so for example, just to be very practical, you go into a meeting. I, and I did this just before we, we started our conversation. You know, you sh you go from one meeting to the next. Well, in between meetings, take a few moments to breathe and 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 connect with your breath. And that will totally stabilize your mind and put you in a place where you're much more receptive, much more open, much sharper. Right, so I think these these practices can can help you with with resilience as well. Mm. And I don't know if that makes sense to you. I mean, you you I guess you you see that from from uh, the world of uh, high performance uh, sports, and I see that from you know the boardroom. So I, I'm very curious about whether our perspectives connect at some point. Yes, I think where they can connect is that the resistance to seemingly doing nothing. And I just wondered, like, from those practices that you've described, they seem very accessible and and quite simple. And we could all 
work towards them. But what's stopping people, particularly that ability to have step back? And I know that from when I was working as a lawyer, I I just felt like I had too much to do. <laughs> and I the less I was doing, the like the more that was building up. So taking that time to step back, I would have been a little bit resistant to that because I'm like, well, I could it'd be better if I just got on with my work and then I'll take the time off when I'm on top of my work, which obviously never happened in 14 years. <laughs> but what is it that's sort of stopping us just doing these practices from your side, from your experience? Well, there's a long, long list of excuses <laughs> uh, that, that we give ourselves, right? And, and uh, look, I'm as guilty as anyone else to, um, to use them from time to time, but these, uh, I'm too busy. Right, so I cannot afford to take time off because X, Y, Z. Right, because mm. I have this important meeting, because I have this important paper to to submit, because I have this important project that I'm working on. So there's there's always something that is important and that is more important than the time we can dedicate to ourselves. And let's be realistic. Sometimes it, it is true. Sometimes you really have an important deadline that is really meaningful and really important, and, and then you give it all. But life is not just an, a deadline, you know, a, or a succession of deadline. Or if it is, maybe there's something it that, feels that you like can reconsider about <laughs> your life. But, but you know, we, we tend to think that people are going to miss us and it's going to be the end of the world if we don't respond to an email within 24 minutes and, and not 24 hours. Um, we, we have this overinflated sense of, of our importance. <laughs> and I think it comes, from a good, it, it comes from a good place. It comes from a place of being a responsible. It comes from a place of wanting to achieve. It comes from a place of not wanting to disappoint others. Mm. But the reality is very different. And as we say, and I'm sure you, you, you've heard the saying, but the, 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 the graveyards are full of people who, who thought they were abs absolutely indispensable to <laughs> the, the workings of whichever organization or whatever. But the reality is that if you organize yourself well, you can take time off. Mm. Now, and, and, you know, obviously the, the CEOs I work with and, and, and some are, you know, running very, very large organizations. Um, you know, they they still find time to to take time off. Now they don't disappear for six months and don't respond to email. Right? That's not realistic. That's not how, how it works. But I'm not also advocating that you should completely disappear and and, and disconnect for yeah. three weeks. Which at some level of of uh, responsibility in the corporate world, you just cannot do. But could you not check emails for a few days, provided that you've uh, you know, your assistant, your teammates, wh whatever, and, and everybody knows that you're on a retreat and therefore you're, you're going to go silent and, and therefore you're going to turn off the electronics. And, and that is, when, when you push a little bit, you, you realize that, it, yes, it will take a little bit of preparation. It will take a little bit of support from, from people around you, including your, your family, for example, right? You also need to justify because what happens also with uh, the resistance to taking time off by ourselves for ourselves is that we say, look, I'm already working so hard. If I have an hour or a half a day or a day, I'm going to spend it with my family. I'm going to spend it with my kids who barely remember that they have a dad or a mom, right? And, and that, again, that is perfectly 
perfectly valid, but it, you know, I'm not saying disappear for three weeks by yourself, but can you take half a day by yourself? And half a day is already, you know, you'd be surprised how much you can achieve if you go silent in a quiet place by yourself with, you know, uh, a nice blank page, you know, a journal, uh, a, a cozy, you know, whatever fire in the fireplace or whatever. You, you'd be amazed the things that are going to come to you when you just disconnect and, and let your mind relax and start listening to, to what's inside. I mean, to me, that idea of going and being alone for half a day just sounds absolutely brilliant. But I know that from like when a trait of an introvert is described, it just describes me and I'm very energized by time on my own and switching off and I'll quite happily go off without technology. But for other people, and I, I came across this when I was coaching runners as well, that isn't that that could be quite a scary prospect for some people to just do nothing and not be connected in any way and switch off and it was always an alarm bell for me if somebody was like oh i don't i can't relax or i can't sit still or i i don't want a rest day which i used to force on them and i just wondered if whether it is to do with being an intro or extrovert or if it's just because people just haven't done this for so long but to are people scared rather than excited at that prospect of go in a room with a blank piece of paper and do nothing yeah so you 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 hit the nail on the head um an introvert you know you tell them look you're going to go on a retreat and you're going to be in the countryside in a cabin by yourself for two days and they say where do i sign oh i'll be there i'm there that's like literally all my holidays i don't even take my dog or my husband Can we make it three days? <laughs> I'll be that three months. I'm happy. Yeah, exactly. And, as long and as I can take books. <laughs> right. And you and you say you tell the, the same thing to an extrovert, and they're like, oh my God. I mean, like, oh my God. I mean, like, this is the end of the world. Right. Like, what am I gonna do? Like half a day by myself without my phone, without talking, without talking to people, you know? And and for them it's uh, it's very difficult. So and I work with clients. I mean, you know, a lot of senior execs tend to be on the extrovert side because somehow it's it's a trait of character that that gets you to places <laughs> where you know us us introverts. Yeah, that's why I'm working from home and and not a CEO. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So so you find probably a a little bit of a disproportionate share of of extroverts in 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 the corporate world at the at the top of the pyramid, and. You know, yes, I need to 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 use some influence, some persuasion, some some convincing, some prodding, etc. Uh, you know, I sent uh, once a senior exec to spend a night by himself in the desert. Um, one one of my clients here in Singapore went and rented a cabin in the jungle for for a night. You know, and they all come back and they say, "Wow, you know, like, wow, I'm I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I did it." Right now, for sure, uh, an in, uh, uh, an extrovert will have to to face the boredom and, and the fear of boredom, which is very very present. Right, it's this fear of the the, the, the intersidereal void in front of you if you don't have a cocktail party to attend, a, a, a dinner with fifteen friends, uh, you know. But for the more evolved of them. You know, they, they, they recognize that trait in them. 
they, they, they can be with that fear of, of, of the void. And once you can be with the fear, you've, you've conquered it, right? And is it a bit like a muscle we can exercise? Can we give them, well, okay, just do five minutes to start with and then build it up rather than dropping them in a desert or a jungle for a night? Yeah. And, and um, look, my, my, uh, in, in my book, I, uh, I offer a few templates to, to do retreats, to start doing retreats by yourself. And the first, uh, the first retreat I suggest is one hour, go to a coffee shop, you know, where no one knows you and go and sit by yourself, turn off the phone and just sit there. And if it's too boring to sit there and, and just watching the crowd or jotting down some ideas on a piece of paper, bring a book and, and, and just read by yourself for an hour. But try to, to be a little bit with yourself. And so one hour, everyone can do it. And, and that's what I call my entry-level retreat. Right? <laughs> so I'm not saying you know, take seven days fly to Bhutan and find you know, the, the, the highest monastery and, 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 and go and disappear there, you know, with zero comfort, no running water, no hot, you know. I still, no. I, I still do it, but I recognize not many people. I know, right? <laughs> it, sounds, uh, it sounds very lovely to, to us. No, but you, you have a, a place that sends you good vibes. It could be a coffee shop. It could be the, the lobby of a hotel. It could be, you know, a room in your house. It could be a corner in your garden, right? Whatever is the space that, that gives you good vibes, that gives you good energy. And we all know what it is for us, right? You know, you, you walk into a space and you say, oh my God, this is horrible. And then you walk into another space and you say, ah, oh, suddenly I feel, I, I sense this calming energy, right? So we all, we all have, those spaces that that we connect with and so i say find this space you know i love sitting in coffee shops for example the 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 people around me don't bother me but i love sitting in a coffee shop and i take my journal and i can be there you know for for an hour just just putting ideas on paper and it's and it's incredible i have my cup of coffee and i'm super happy right so anyone can can do that start with an hour and see what happens when you turn off your phone for an hour and you don't feel compelled to check, you know, the WhatsApp and the emails and the, your social media and whatever. Oh, is te- technology a big part of why why we need to take these times off? I was just, um, I, w- I was thinking that even when I've gone off into the mountains and I, I've probably got my phone with me to take photos and things, but I've deleted all the apps and I still find myself reaching to check in emails and, and apps. And even though they're not on there and I haven't had any reception, I've not turned it on. And I find that habit quite, quite scary in myself. And this isn't like, this is after I'm a lawyer and I'm not working all those hours. And so, yes, is it something that we need even more just because of technology and how accessible work and just the news, the world, everything is to us? Yeah. Absolutely. I think technology has taken such a big space in our lives today that it's it's become hard to live without it. Mm. Uh, you know, by forgetting your phone uh, at home when you're on your way to work and, and you, you're going to leave a day of misery, right? Um, so, so technology has taken a big, big uh, space in, in our lives. And I think that's, that's why. And, you know, there's good technology, obviously which is the technology that serves you um, 
for example, being able to call a cab, right, and and uh, without having to 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 wait for fifteen minutes on the phone line and stuff like that. I mean, you know, there's a lot of good things, but we also have to to admit, maybe if we if we take a, a hard look at ourselves, that that we also waste an enormous amount of time with technology, uh, starting with all the the social media stuff, but but also you know it's very addictive, right? So you could mm-hmm. could go on YouTube and and. And, and two hours later, you don't know what happened, but, but you're still there, right? And so I think if we build this, this practice of disconnecting regularly, we become much more critical uh, with technology and, and much more discerning of when we really need to use technology and, and when we don't. And so, for example, right, so, some simple practices that, uh, that you know, anyone can try is to say, look, I'm only going to check my emails twice a day for example right once at the beginning of the day once at the end of the day and in between i'm just not i'm, I'm going to turn off outlook i'm just not going to look at it right unless there's something again we, we need to be realistic but and and you realize that yes you know email is not actually a, a medium of communication for super urgent thing it's it's a it's a good communication tool but if people need to reach you they will call you or they will send you a, a whatsapp or whatever instant messaging uh, app is used in your country so I think, you know, experimenting with turning off devices periods at a time uh, and then maybe keep, keep the phone um, out of reach mm-hmm. in, in certain times also, you know. So, for example, my, my, my charger is here in my office, but not in my bedroom. So I don't feel compelled to bring the, the phone to my bedroom because I prefer to leave it in my office to charge. And, and therefore, I don't check emails at night and I don't check emails first thing in the morning. So there's this little micro habit that we can build that allow us to become more discerning. And I'm not here to say, you know, stop using your devices, but maybe become a little bit more discerning. And, and you will create a lot more space for freedom if you do that. Right? So I think technology... You know, and look, all, all the technology is designed to hook us and, and to make us addicted, right? So, mm-hmm. so they, they don't want, and there's no conspiracy here, but it's the business model. They don't want you to get off the, the device because that's how they make money, right? So you have to, to create a counter force to, to be able to resist that. And I find it's, it's not that difficult, actually. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I remember, I, I can't remember in which book it was, but I, I remember Heidegger. Uh, talked about us being more and more enslaved to technology in 1954. Oh, really? So, yeah. So there's no, there's nothing new. I can't find you the reference of the book, um, but there's nothing new here. It's just gone totally out of control in the mm-hmm. last 15 years. With, uh, smart devices. And one of the things that you talked about in the art of retreats was cultivating presence, and I think that. Does technology take us away from the present moment? I mean, it certainly takes me away. It kind of numbs me from what I'm feeling and thinking, and it's very easy. And and what else can take us away from the present moment? And why why is it important to cultivate this this presence? Well, any form of distraction mm. where you start, you, you know, you shift to autopilot in a way, right? When, when you're on autopilot, and that's the stage in 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 which we are very often during the day, and by by the way, for 
very good reasons, and and that's what allows us to function in the world, right? Because we do a lot of things automatically, and so that's autopilot is what allows you to walk and chew gum at the same time, right? So so again, nothing wrong with that, but too much of a good thing is a bad thing, and so. If you're not present because you're always thinking of something else, right? You're in a meeting and you're checking your phone. Uh, you're trying to do three things at the same time. You know, you're cooking a meal and you're watching a program on TV and you're answering your emails and you're booking a trip and you're talking to your three-year-old and and whatever. You know, you're not going to be present for everything because the human brain is not designed to multitask. It's it's designed to single monotask. And we switch from one task to another, to another, to another. So if you want to be present, whether it is present to yourself and developing self-awareness or present with someone else when you're having a conversation, that requires to shutting down all the rest of the parallel processing that you might be doing. So it's obviously not looking at your phone when when you're with someone, but it's also not necessarily thinking about what you're going to have for dinner, right? Because if I want to give you 100% of my attention and make you feel seen and heard and understood, I need to be completely with you, just the way you are with me right now, for example, mm. right? So So that's, again, it's a practice because being distracted either by technology or, or thoughts, you know, worries, anxiety, people, whatever, that is what takes you away from being fully present to, to the present moment and therefore to what's happening within and also to, to what's happening in your immediate surroundings and the people you're with. Yeah. And I suppose going back to those practices that you talked about with resilience, the the stepping back and the being mentally focused, and even the physically staying physically focused, the the idea of presence comes through into all of those, really, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And you can cultivate presence again through, you know, simple practices like mind, mindfulness. I mean, mind, uh, you know, we've heard so much about mindfulness uh, that uh, you know, I get, I guess, people get a little bit uh, blasé with it. But you know, mindfulness is simply the 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 art of being present to what is right now in this in the present moment to pay attention and to concentrate my attention onto a, a single object, right? Whether it's a person, a conversation, uh, or, or what have you. Uh, being aware of our emotions, being aware of our physical sensations. So all these practices, which are fairly easy to, to, to acquire and, and to, to, uh, to, to become more familiar with, uh, really help you with your mental focus. And... I think you're you're absolutely right. You know, the, the, it's the combination of of these practices that make you mentally focused, that make you physically, you know, stronger and and more resistant, uh, make you more emotionally balanced. Uh, that that allow you with, that, that that help you with with resilience mm. because it's it's not one thing, right? There's not one magical remedy that says, okay, you know, you do that three times a day and you're going to be resilient, right? <laughs> I've been looking and sadly there isn't. <laughs> it's a life of practice. It's a life of practice. And and I would add to the list, we, we haven't talked too much about it, but, you know, it's it's a big part of the book as well is, is you know, what, being connected um, with, with a sense of purpose. Mm. 
you know, and it's not necessarily, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, to bring peace to the world or some grandiose, you know, but it's, it's knowing why, why you're doing the things you're doing. And it could be very, very, you know, pragmatic, like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this job because I need to put food on the table for my kids, right? So it doesn't have to be some, some grand vision, but knowing why you're doing what you're doing, which tends, you know, so, some, uh, some of the folks I worked with tend to lose a little bit this sense of connection to to a purpose because you know they they have great jobs that they're, they're doing it well but it it becomes a little bit meaningless over time and say so, you know you're not doing your job just because you like making money right making money is great but it's a consequence of of finding fulfillment and if you're not finding fulfillment in life. And, you know, and again, fulfillment is not something, you know, that you're going to reach in three years and then you'll be happy. No, it's, it's a daily, it's a daily thing, right? You, you, you wake up in the morning and you say, you know, what, what is going to make me satisfied at the end of the day? And, and this connection, you know, with, with a sense of purpose, with a, a, a greater awareness of what makes you fulfilled, I think gives you great resilience because when you have setbacks, mm. you know why you're doing what you're doing, you know, and, and you continue no matter what. Now, sometimes, you know, you obviously have setbacks that, that really are, are difficult to face, uh, obviously. But I think this, this um, you know, being in a way spiritually connected to, to a sense of purpose and a sense of fulfillment is, is critically important to resilience. Mm, you put spirit as one of those four pillars of your retreats. We've already really talked about ha having that solitude and silence and, and space as well, but you put that spirit was one of them. Um, I was interested, you said in the book that you had reached a point in your own career as a banking CEO where I think you said it was like no longer speaking to your heart and and what did that look like? Because for me, when I've been in places that aren't right it's taken me a while to realize and then looking back you think oh god that's what those tears were about and all those <laughs> existential crises and I just wondered what did it look like for you when you realized that you weren't on the path that you wanted to be well it, it was terrifying I must say because um you know I had worked hard to to get to where I was um and I think I, I had this objective in life to 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 be a bank CEO, and I had geared up for that. I had prepared for that. You know, I I worked, uh, you know, many years at, at at McKinsey. I was leading the the, the financial institutions practice. So, you know, and and so getting there and feeling utterly miserable is very disorienting. Mm. And, and, you know, I was much younger than I am now. And so I didn't have the tools to, to make sense of it. It was like, first of all, who do I speak to? Because, you know, all my friends and my, you know, relatives, et cetera, think I'm doing great. So if I go to them and I say, you know, I'm miserable, they, they're going to laugh at me. So I don't have anyone to, to talk to. And why am I miserable if I have everything I've wanted to in life? Right, I mean, what's wrong with me? Yeah, right. You got a great job, a great salary, all the perks that go with it, the respect of your peers, uh, great career prospects. What, blah blah blah. You know, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with Fabrice? And uh, and so yeah, it's 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 quite terrifying because 
we're not prepared for that. We don't recognize the signs, you know, when, when it's like life becomes un, unsatisfying and, and you lose your energy, you lose your sense of motivation. Um, you don't want to get out of bed and, and, and you have no rational explanation. Now, you know, if I, if I see a client who has these symptoms, I can, I can tell you immediately what's going on and I can be with them and I can explain to them what's going on and we can chart a path. That, that's going to take out them out of that fight. But I had, I had no one, so I, I had to figure it out. Uh, and, and that was uh, not easy because I was blaming myself at the beginning. Mm, thinking that it was In you. Fact, there, was nothing, there was nothing wrong with me other than maybe having been very successful at, at, at pursuing an objective that probably was not the right objective. I don't remember who said, you know, you, you spend your life climbing the ladder and, and when you get to the top, you realize it's leaning on the wrong wall. <laughs> I've not had that before. And, 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 you know, there was nothing wrong with me. There was also nothing wrong with the bank mm. I was working. You know, so, the, so there's no one to blame, right? It, it's just that this is not a fit. That's it. Good bank, you know, good shareholders, good Fabrice, you know, diligent conscientious executive, you know, who's managed his way up, just not the right fit. And so when you take a bit of perspective, you say, well, no, no big deal, right? You go and find something else to do with your life. But it's not so easy sometimes, right? Because you're so invested in this career. And 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 no one would understand, right? You left your job. And I mean, like, you did what? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so no. I, I had to go through that, right? I think um, also what came up for me when I left law was well, you've wasted all that time, all those qualifications, all those years at university. And it, it didn't it took me a while to realize that it none of it was wasted. I learned I helped all those people that I was representing, but also I, I come with it with all the skills and the experience that I got during that time. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing you can be sure of, Jen, is that no one's going to come with any helpful advice, right? Because they, they all look at it from a, from an external perspective. Mm. And yes, look, you know, you, you, you've studied so hard and you've worked so hard and look at you. I mean, you have a good job. Why, why would you want to leave that? And, and, and who's going to take care of your family and, and how are you going to put money uh, you know, uh, on the table. Mm. And, and, and so it's so easy to come up with a hundred reasons why you should stay and continue doing what you're doing. And, and trust me, no one's going to come and say, you know, Jen, you're right. You know, I think it's important that you take a break and that you maybe don't do anything stupid, but maybe carve out a little bit of time to, to, to regain perspective. Mm. Right? And, and something will come out of it. If you, but you need to make that effort to take that step back because if you, if you keep you know, the nose on the wheel and you keep pedaling as hard as you have, then you're never going to create the space to, to be able to, to take a little bit of distance. So it's even more important to be able to take perspective. Yeah. And I, I, always, and, and, you know, I work with, with clients who go through these phases of, of realization that maybe the path that was given to them by their parents, by the random, you know, I mean, like, why did I study engineering and not business when I was 18 years old? I mean, like, because I was good in math, but, you know, that, yeah. that's not a good enough reason. But, you know, so you end up stuck in a career 
And because we are highly competitive, smart, hardworking, conscientious, then we get to the top. Doesn't matter what, what they give us to do, right? We get to the top. And but sometimes it's not the right way. And and we need to to face that. Yeah. And and also for me, I think it comes back to that it's not the destination, whether that's happiness, the top of the ladder. Life just isn't linear like that. So I'm quite I'm a lot more relaxed at how my careers, various careers ebb and flow now. And and I'm okay with the uncertainty, which I wasn't when I first left law. I was like, I need a plan of what I'm going to do with the rest of 40 years of my life. But now it's like, it's exciting to see what might come up. But thinking about me in that time, I mean, as much as I would have needed a lovely weekend retreat away, I definitely wouldn't have been able to sort out all my life's problems on a retreat for a weekend. So I'm just wondering when we take that time to step back, whether that's the an hour that we can put aside or a full weekend or week. What is it that we're going to get out of the other side? You're not promising us that we're going to solve all our problems and come up with a plan, are you? No, I'm not promising <laughs> anything. Um, and by the way, you you need to do the work, right? No one can do the work for you. So <laughs> when I take clients on, on, on retreats or when they follow my book and then they create their own solo retreats, I'm just providing a template, mm. uh, some questions that they can mull over. Yeah. And, so for and, those people that haven't read the book, you have some prompts, really useful prompts of questions which you could journal on or think about. Correct. Correct. And, and the book is organized in in themes. So you know you have the is it a journey or is it a, or is there a destination, right? And 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 so go and go and work on that for a weekend, right? Or then there's wisdom and purpose and and your relationship with death. Yeah. And uh, and building relationships and being present, and, and so so it's it's really a practical guide um, to to go a little bit deeper into your own self, you know, your own exploration. And you're absolutely right that I, I don't think that because you go away in a in a cabin in the wood um, for a couple of days, all the answers are going to come to you, right? Um, but suddenly you're going to get some perspective. Right. You're going to be able to put some, some, you know, to, to, to see things maybe with a slightly different uh, angle, maybe with a little bit more gratitude for, uh, for, for what you have, maybe with a little bit less fear of, of taking some risks. And I, while I don't think that one single retreat, whether it's one hour in a coffee shop or whether it's two days in, in the woods or by the seaside, is, is going to give you all the solutions. But I think as a, as a regular practice that you do once a month, once a quarter, once a year at, uh, even, that builds that, uh, that ability to, to reflect. I'm also not a, I mean, this is changing topics a little bit. I don't talk too much about that in, in my book, but I've, uh, I, I help people with their careers and particularly career transitions and career changes. Uh, which requires resilience as well, right? Because sometimes you you need to say goodbye to a career that has satisfied you, fed you well, given you respect and prestige and status, but is no longer for you, right? And I I don't think that we get the answers by by isolating ourselves and and retreating necessarily. I think we get the answers by looking at 
what else in our life has been important? Where, where else have we thrived? Um, and, and, and maybe, you know, the little breadcrumbs that, that we've left along the way, but we were too busy to really pay attention. And, and, and when you go on retreats, you suddenly realize that, yes, that there are all these little breadcrumbs, you know, that when, uh, uh, 20 years ago when you had more time or even five years ago when you had more time because you didn't have kids yet, for example, you were very happy to do X, Y, Z, you know, and, and these are the little signs that there's something else that you haven't really paid attention to, but that maybe your soul is, is, is whispering to you that there's something. And, and if you're constantly in a noisy environment, constantly busy, you're never going to hear the whisper of the soul. And that's when you take time for yourself in silence and solitude that suddenly you can say, oh, you know, there's this other thing that I've totally disregarded since I was a student, but actually I was pretty good at it and I loved it. And by the way, I, whenever I've had a free weekend or whatever, I've tended to gravitate towards people who, who, who are in this line of work, for example, right? I'm still attracted to this kind of thing. So, you know, you look at the signs. They're all within you. So you're not going to find the answers outside. But for that, you need to be able to, you know, lower the agitation and, 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 and the noise. And, and that's why retreats are, are so good to give you um, pointers. Mm. I'm not, I'm not uh, promising that uh, everybody will find the answers to the big questions in life in, in a one-hour retreat <laughs> in a coffee shop. We're signing but up. We're going to hand over our money. <laughs> I if think... I had found a way to do that, I'd be very rich, you know? I um, One thing that I've always found when I've gone on retreat is... I find that I can drop the labels. I leave those at home of being the lawyer, of being the daughter, the wife, whatever it is. And and really just, it that, that can be quite scary of who we are without those labels. But I think going away in that solitude and with that space, when you have no other con- time pressures at all, nobody's making any demands of you. I find that really freeing. Yeah. And, and that's a beautiful way that you describe to, just take another perspective on life. When you drop, you drop the labels. Then who am I really? It's a really hard question, isn't it? When you, if you're trying to describe who you are, but without any reference to your relationships or your job or your achievements, I find it quite hard to answer. <laughs> it's it's hard to answer, and I'm not sure there is a single answer or there's a good answer. <laughs> I, I think the the wisdom lies in the question, not in the answer. You mentioned, I was very surprised in your book because I've never come across a coaching book which has a chapter called Embracing Death. <laughs> and I wondered what, yeah, what perspective we can get from Embracing Death and why that was included because I thought it was really important. Yeah, so so look, that's um, probably because I've spent most of my uh, adult life in Asia. And, and in Asia, we... We have a different perspective on on death, and particularly in the uh, Eastern spiritual traditions, actually contemplating death, even spending time with the dead, with the dead, uh, meditating in graveyards, is, is or burial grounds. You know, is is a practice that you find in Hinduism, that you find in Buddhism, precisely because contemplating and and becoming familiar with your own mortality is a way to cut through the bullshit right 
like you know all the things that we believe are so important and you know they're all gone when you're dead they're all gone it's all gone and you don't know when that's going to happen right so really what is really important and, and again i'm not advocating that you know we should quit our jobs tomorrow because you know and and, and go sail in the sunset but you know it it just gives you more perspective yeah I can see that. This notion of impermanence, Mm -hmm. that everything is impermanent. Everything we cherish is impermanent. Whether it's friends, money, material possessions, whatever, it's it's all impermanent. It's all going to be gone. So I'm not saying don't enjoy it, but just enjoy with perspective, with discernment. Yes. I don't think it's a coincidence that my big shifts and and changes came not long after my dad and my brother died. I think it can really jolt you from those autopilot, like this is what my life will look like if I just have this day over and over again. And and is that what I wanted? It definitely raised some questions for me, not just in my career, but also relationships as well. So if people are listening and intrigued about the the retreat, and as I say, it can be, we're talking small pockets of time as well as taking time out. But thinking perhaps, especially for those people thinking that they're far too busy to do this, like what I found in your book, it was really helpful when you talked about the signs that you might need a retreat. Like what is it that we can nudge people towards to say this could be something calling you to just take time out and have a bit of perspective? Yeah, I, I think there's two things, right? Number one is the realization that. If you take a little bit of time for yourself, by yourself, and as I always say, you know, the, the four S, right? As you, as you mentioned earlier, right? In silence. And so silence means essentially you disconnect the devices, right? It doesn't mean you go into a soundproof chamber. It's just, you know, disconnect your devices so you're not disturbed and, and, and distracted by the beep beep and the ding ding that of, of your notifications, right? So silence, solitude, so you go by yourself in a, in a space that gives you the, the good vibes and with a, an intention to reconnect with your spirit, right? If you do that, do that for an hour. If, you, if, you, if you're willing to try, willing to see that this has benefits because you find retreats in absolutely every spiritual tradition around the world. I mean, I, I'm not aware of, I, I don't know them all. But I've studied quite a few spiritual traditions, and I'm well versed in in, in at least a couple of them, uh, both Eastern and Western. You know, everyone has their spiritual uh, retreats. Everyone has their contemplative practices, right? Whether it's in Christianity, in Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, you you find this this notion that withdrawing periodically from the world, you know, will advance your your personal development. And will allow you to get back in the world with greater wisdom, with greater perspective, with greater strength, and and greater resilience, uh, if we want to call it that way, right? So, if I can convince you of that, then the only thing I need to help you with is, you know, the list of excuses that you're going to make to say, I'm too busy, I'm too important, I cannot let them down, uh, I need to give my priority to my uh, husband, to my kid, to my dog, to whatever, right? And, and, and yes, it's all true. But can you also find an hour, two hours, half a day for your own good? Because when you come back from your retreat, you're going to be even better with 
all these people. You're going to be better at answering emails. You're going to be better with your colleagues. You're going to be better with your spouse. You're going to be better with your dog. So for the sake of the dog, <laughs> take a retreat. The dog will thank you for that. <laughs> Oh, well, you didn't need to sell it to me, but you have done. Thank you, Fabrice. <laughs> Do us introverts need an opposite where we actually have to go and sit in a room with people? <laughs> but introverts make absolutely fantastic retreat leaders. So, well, uh, I, I do have I do have three retreats that I'm leading coming up this year. And I'm also doing a yoga nidra practice, which is every Sunday in January, because again, it's just those benefits that I feel for, for taking that deep rest. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm taking, you know, you, you, you won't necessarily believe it, but I'm taking all these practices to senior executives, mm. right? So I, I work with corporate clients, and, and recently I had 25 senior execs lying on the floor after dinner and me taking them through a yoga nidra practice. Not because, you know, we want to goof around and no, because your ability to sleep given the pressure, the complexity of the world, you know, the anxiety that comes with responsibilities, a lot of senior executives have difficulty sleeping. And so it, it is a practice that, again, back to the topic of resilience, uh, is going to help you when you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, right? If you don't want to take a sleeping pill because you're going to be wasted the next day, do a yoga nidra practice, for example, mm. right? And this is this is a very serious practice that, you know, everyone can adopt to to find better sleep and better balance in their lives. And has there been any resistance when you do bring these practices to the people that you work with? Are they actually, well, hang on, Fabrice, I just thought you were going to give me some top tips for being way more productive and getting more done rather than telling me to do less? You know, one one of the benefits of working in Asia is that in general, people are probably closer to a simpler life when we had simpler times and, mm. and, and, you know, because these are newly industrialized. I mean, for most, most of Asia, with the exception of, of, of Japan, you know, is, is still fairly newly industrialized. And so I find that most of my clients are quite open to these practices and, and, you know, bless them. They, they, they also trust me. So <laughs> they probably, uh, do a lot of silly things if I ask them to, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's, uh, I, I, I can totally understand your question because I, I, I'm trying to imagine myself doing this in a more Western mm. I mean, you know, as you can hear, I'm, I, I grew up in France, even though I left the country probably nearly 40 years ago, but you know, I'm trying to imagine running a retreat like that and putting senior executives on the floor and doing yoga nidra, and then probably they will all laugh at me. And and so, I had, so maybe... um, I did have James Reeves on an earlier episode, who's a yoga nidra teacher in the UK, and he he does manage to do that. <laughs> yeah. No, but you know, look, it's it's done with good intentions, right? And mm -hmm. and I'm explaining. You know, we, I don't go straight into yoga nidra on day one, right? We, we do a number of practices. First of all, we realize the benefit of being in good health mm. as a senior. And being in good health just as, doesn't only mean, you know, your, your physical health, but it, it, it has to do with your mental and emotional health and, and, and also your, your sense of purpose and spiritual health. So, so we look at this holistic definition of health. And then we, we run, you know, we, we have a, 
questions and we talk about life and, and, you know, a lot of people are stressed. They have, you know, a lot of pressure. And, and, and when we start talking, yeah, yes, I have anxiety. Yes, I have trouble sleeping at night. Yes, I don't have time to exercise. And so I'm putting on weight or I don't feel like I'm as sharp as I was uh, when I was in my 30s. You know, so so it comes up very quickly, and and then when when I say, well, look, I, I I don't have any miracles to to promise, but here are a set of practices that I've used myself that have been of tremendous benefit to me, and and I've been through you know everything you're going through, uh, and and this has helped me. There's science behind it, so I'm not you know just pulling this out of a you know, a shaman uh, lodge uh, retreat, and I haven't smoked, you know, the the, the <laughs> mushrooms, right? So there's the science. So when, when you explain it like that, it, you overcome a lot of resistance. Mm. Yeah, I can so understand I'll, I'll that. Probably overcome the resistance of the French as well, if I, if I explained it like that. <laughs> I found that, I think you described just starting a, a time with some clients just sitting in silence and... I thought that could be quite confronting for some people. I'm quite happy sitting in silence with people, but I know that quite a lot, a lot of people just want to talk, don't they? And, and take up that. Yeah. So I, I do a lot of top teamwork as well. So, you know, say CEO plus the executive committee. Right. And uh, very often we, we start our retreats. Uh, so these are purely business retreats, right? So, so we're going off site, and, and, you know, there's, number of serious business issues we want to talk about, et cetera. And then we want to talk about the team dynamics and what have you. I very often start with a period of silence. Now I don't keep them for 30 minutes in silence because they, they, they would, you know. Like what are we paying you for, Fabrice? <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I guide them into a breathing practice that allows them to bring their attention to their breath and then to their body as a way of, changing the energy you know they they, they come they may, they may have traveled to come to the retreat site they, they've been chatting in the halls you know in the corridors etc they may still be at a high level of energy right and answering emails and the last minute emergencies etc and i need to bring them into a different space so that we can work productively on whatever issues we we want to work on and short practices but when i say short you know Sometimes 10 minutes, mm. which if you think of, you know, the high powered senior execs who are all very important and all have very important jobs, actually they, they, they welcome it. And, and sometimes the more senior they are, the more they come to me after the practice and they said, you know, that, that was really good. We, we need that more often because I, I, I think you can be... You know, when you're in the intermediate levels of, of the corporate rat race, you know, you maybe you don't see necessarily the benefits and you're still young, etc. But but the the uh, slightly uh, more mature, more experienced, and and perhaps with more responsibilities, folks, they they tend to be very very good with it. Mm. And that practice is accessible to all of us, as we've said earlier. Just taking that time out. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so lovely to talk to you, Fabrice, and thank you for sharing your your work. And if people are interested in following you and looking into this more, where's the best place to find you, Fabrice? So probably two two places. One is uh, LinkedIn. Um, so just type my name uh, and and um, you know connect with me on LinkedIn. 
And I have a website uh, at uh, demaresco my last name, dot com. So that's uh, that's the the best ways to uh, stay in touch. And I would love to hear from uh, from your audience. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you for taking the time today. And all the best. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to come on one of your retreats. <laughs> thank Please you do. so much. Thank you for listening to the Resilience Rising podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do help people find us by hitting subscribe, leaving a review or sharing us with others. Thank you so much and see you next time on the Resilience Rising podcast.